Romans chapter 1, we'll be looking at these verses 1 through 23 today, and I'm entitled this, The Tragic Exchange. The Tragic Exchange. You know, we're always trading something, it seems like. Uh, A movie uh, that came out back in the 90s, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I remember it was the 90s, I think, uh, Dances with Wolves, and uh, Lieutenant John J. Dunbar kind of gets himself in the midst of a tribe of of Indians, and uh, he uh, is working with them. He has seen a herd of buffaloes, and he goes and tells them, hey, there's buffalo, and uh, they invite him for the hunt, and they've had this big hunt, and they're sitting in a teepee afterwards, and they're uh, uh, eating buffalo, you know, and, and he looks up, and while he was riding along, he lost his hat, and they called it the soldier hat. And one of the guys picked up the soldier hat, one of the Indians, and he was wearing it. And John J. Dunbar looks over there and he goes, that's my hat. And the guy said, you left it. You didn't want it. It's my hat now. And he insisted, no, that's my hat. And so the guy stood up. This was a big dude, all right? And the guy stood up and it was kind of like, you want to fight for it? And so one of the Guys who had befriended the lieutenant looked at him, and he walked up, and he looked over at the guy who was opposing him and who had the hat on, and he said, look, he said, I understand you, you like the hat, and that's a good thing, but trade something for it. And so the guy pulls off a knife that's about this long, and it's in this beautiful leather sheath, and it's got this little strap around it, and he goes, and he tosses it to him. And he catches it, and he looks at it, and he looks back up at him, and he says something in their tongue, you know, you know, and, uh, and everything's settled. And his friend, his Indian friend, whispered into his ear, good trade. <laughs> good trade. It was an exchange that took place, brought about peace. We are not accustomed in our nature to making good trades. We don't make good trades. When it comes to our nature and our relationship with God and who God is and who we are, left to ourselves, we will choose the bad road. We will choose the thing that is of less value rather than the thing that is of more value. And one thing that Paul is talking about here is how we do that as mankind. That our bent is to choose that which is not good. Last week, we looked at the verses above this, and we talked about how there is no one who does not know God. Everybody knows God. Everybody knows Him. He has made Himself known. It says that it's very plain. 
The revelation of God is clear. It's plain to them. And today we look and it says, for although they knew God, they know Him. And because they know Him, there's no excuse. There's no excuse for us. In other words, all mankind has a responsibility to respond to the living God. To respond to the revelation that He has put forward. Our response to what God has made known, and He's made it known, we talked about it last week in a couple of different ways. One, in our own conscience, He's put in us a desire to worship. He's put in us that only He can satisfy. And because we make this exchange that we're talking about today, we look for the alternatives of what will satisfy. And they satisfy momentarily, and then they disappoint. So I want us to consider this tragic exchange so that we will not make it. So that we will not make it as unbelievers, but will believe. And then as believers that we won't exchange things of this world. Because we're still prone to wander, aren't we? Is that just me? Is your preacher the only one that's prone to wander? Oh, we all are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave this God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We don't want to make that exchange. As we go through this text next week, by the way, I'm going to be getting into more of the other things that people are kind of like, well, you know, hit that one right there. Homosexuality. That's what it's talking about next week. Uh, next week, if we get into that. Getting in 24. Gave them up to their hearts to impurity. Exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It goes on. Talks about homosexuality. Although we're going to talk about that next week. Homosexuality is not the problem. I want you to let that sink... Homosexuality, transgender, all this gender junk, okay? It's a nice little phrase there, gender junk. That is not the problem. We're dealing with the problem this week. We're dealing with the result of the problem next week. Well, what's the problem then? Look at verse 23. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the glory of the immortal, another word, incorruptible 
God. That's the exchange. That is the problem. Everything else flows out of that when that exchange is made. So let's look at this. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Stop right there. They did not honor him as God. They did not glorify God. That's what that word is. They weren't interested in the glory of God. I want us to think about three things today. One, God's purpose in creating us. God's purpose in creating us. Second, I want us to consider the speculations or theories of men, of mankind. And third, I want us to look at the tragic exchange of what is real for what is false. And we've all done that. For although they knew God, why, he had made it plain to them. The things that reveal him have been clearly perceived ever since creation. And men suppressed the truth. They did not honor him as God. They did not glorify him. Although it's speaking of that they knew God and what they did not do. That they did not do that implies they did not glorify him or give thanks. Implies that this was the expected prescribed response. The prescribed response of God revealing himself to mankind is that they would give him glory or glorify him. Give glory to him. That's the prescribed response. What they did not do is what is expected of God in response to Him revealing Himself to us. We were made, created to glorify God. He created us for His glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, bring them to me, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. He created us for His glory. That's His purpose in creating us. We exist to glorify God. Now I think one of the important things at this point is to ask the question, uh, what does it mean to glorify God? How do we do that? 
How do I practically glorify Him? First, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to increase His glory. That's impossible. (laughs) Okay? You cannot increase God's glory. You can't add to God's glory. God is glorious beyond measure. Okay? That makes me smile, by the way. Because the God who is glorious beyond measure has made himself known to me. And you know me, and you think you know me, but you don't know me. I'm the one he shouldn't have made himself known to. And he did, and he changed me, and it's beautiful. He's glorious beyond measure. You can't add to the glory of God. None of us can. God's not more glorified because you sing. I'm more satisfied in Him when I glorify Him. So how do we glorify God? It it, it means to see Him And make him known as he really is. So to see him as he really is. And to make him known as he really is. Glorifies God. So how do we do it? How do we glorify God? Well. We get a clue here in the text. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They didn't demonstrate gratitude. They didn't say thank you for this life. Psalm chapter 50 verse 23 says this, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The one who offers, I'm going to read it again, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. We see him as the one who gives everything. We see him as the source of all our provision. We know that all things come from Him. And we give thanks. We thank Him for our food. We thank Him for our family. We thank Him for our life. We thank Him for eternal life. We give thanks to Him. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse eighteen says, Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 says that in our worship, we are giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank Him in all circumstances and we thank Him for all things. Give thanks always. How often should we give thanks? Always. We give thanks for everything. Which things are we to give thanks for? Everything. Always and everything. That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Yeah, but Rick, you know, if bad things happen, it's really hard to give thanks to God. I didn't say it was easy. And he didn't say it would be easy. He said, give thanks. How often? Always. For what? Everything. Even bad things? Eventually. We have to work our thing to, our way to it. That in and of itself is a whole different sermon, but I want you to see. We're answering this question, how do we glorify God? We give thanks. The thing is, I look out here and I see people who have. People who have family. People who have people that love them. People that have possessions. People that have riches. You say, Rick, we're not rich. Come go to Ethiopia with me. Come go to most of the world with me and tell me you're not rich. Okay? Yeah, you are. And nothing wrong with it. Just don't make it your God. Give thanks. Always and for everything. This glorifies God. Tell you a familiar story about the commentator Matthew Henry. Many of you have heard this. Some of you may never have heard it. Y'all probably are aware of Matthew Henry's commentary. I mean, everybody goes to it, you know. Old Puritan. He was one night on his way home robbed of his wallet. And knowing that it was his, his duty to God to give thanks in everything, when he got home, he meditated on the incident and wrote in his diary the following. Let me be thankful first because he never robbed me before tonight. Second, because although he took my purse, he did not take my life. Third, because although he took all I possessed, it was not much. And last, fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not who robbed. Our gratitude glorifies God. 
always something to be thankful for. In every circumstance. It's hard to find that heart of gratitude sometimes. Because of the weight and the sorrow of things. Because of loss. But as God continually becomes our treasure, we learn to receive all things from His hand. What was it Job said? Shall we receive good from Him and not evil? Be thankful. That's one way we glorify. Another way we glorify God, Romans chapter 4, just a couple of pages over, is describing Abram or Abraham. And God is he's speaking of the episode where God gives a promise to Abraham and promises him a child from Sarah. And in verse 20 of Romans chapter 4, it says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Why did he do that? Look at verse 21. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. <laughs> Isn't that great? Are you fully convinced of that? We glorify God when we trust Him. I know perhaps y'all are looking for some deep theological unpacking here. But these two things, God, I believe you, and God, I thank you, <laughs> glorifies God. God, I believe you, and God, I thank you. Abraham trusted God. Hundred years old, I'm going to be a father. His wife was 90. The odds were against them. But God said, from Sarah, you're going to get a child of promise, a son. I believe you. Trusting God glorifies God. Hebrews is filled with men and women who trusted God rather than the riches and promises of men. It speaks of Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty four By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He made a good trade, folks. 
That's a good trade right there. He had all the gold, all the fame, all the education, all the everything that Egypt had to offer. And all he had to do was embrace it. But he said, no, not going to do that. He exchanged all those riches for being mistreated. That's a good trade. But here in verse 21, although they knew God, they didn't do what was prescribed for them to do. Instead of glorifying Him, they did not glorify Him. And they did not give thanks to Him. Why? Because they were speculators. Because they were theorists. Because they wanted to think a little deeper. Something else was on the table. It always is. Look what it says. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, comma, but they became futile. Now I want you to notice something. I get made fun of a lot. My staff does it. Um, you know, they've actually said, you're going to preach that comma this week. Well, yes. Because we see here what they did not do, comma, and then they did something else. It's kind of like, well, wait a minute. He has made known himself. He has made it clear. God has been clearly perceived since creation. What else was on the table? A comma after or give thanks to him. Comma, but. That comma, I'm going to say, represents some other option being put forward on the table. And in Genesis chapter 3, that is exactly what happened, didn't it? God had given them instructions. He had told Adam what? He said, hey, you know what? There's this tree right here, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that one. See all these other trees? You can eat from them. Don't eat from this one. Because when you do, you're going to die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was what was on the table. It's still on the table, isn't it? 
Genesis 3, the serpent calls into question the glory of God. Can he be trusted? That's what Satan said. I don't know that you can trust him. I know that he made everything, but he just doesn't want you having everything. He's holding back. That's the comma. They didn't glorify him. They didn't give thanks to him. Here's another option on the table. So what did they do? We see this is the first great exchange that took place. And this begins the plunge of humanity into idolatry. And that's what's going on here. You see, there's the glory of God, and then there's something to exchange. And that's idolatry. Idolatry of self. We see it very soon, don't we? With Cain, God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, not so much with Cain's. So what did Cain do? He rose up, he was envious, and he murdered his brother. It was idolatry of self. It was self-seeking. It was self-exalting. He was even exalting himself in a way, over God. Although God gives life, Cain took it. Not only idolatry of self, but idolatry of creation. He's going to get into that in a moment, but uh, let me just kind of point to that in Joshua chapter 24. You know, Abraham was a pagan when God called him and said, I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you. He lived in Ur of the Chaldees, and he was a, uh, a worshiper of creation. And In chapter 24 of Joshua, it says this. It says, verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Put away the idols. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're not going to have idols. We're not going to replace God with ourselves, and we're not going to replace God with statues of wood. When he says, put away the gods of your fathers that served beyond the river in Egypt, he's speaking about Abraham because he was the one who was beyond the river. What river? The Euphrates. Over there in Ur of the Chaldees. He's speaking of a worship that took place there that involved worshiping creation like the river. The river was the power there. The river was the source of life. 
All their foods grew because they planted near the river. Speculations of men. Theories of how things are. I mean, can you think of the first raindrop that fell? You know, what was that? Where'd that come from? They look out and there's an ocean. Oh, okay. I know where that came from. The water must evaporate out of that big body of water out there, go up into the sky, turn into clouds, move its way over into warmer temperatures, and drop the rain. Scientifically, that was a fiasco, okay? That's the thinking. It's kind of like, it kind of happens like that. But who made that happen? You see, man stops at their speculations and don't consider what's behind. And it's the living God who created everything. And in our speculations, what we do is we create more and more and more idols. That's what we do. We're good at it. We, we have idols. We don't even know that they're there. But if you were to stop and consider the things that rob God of His glory in your own life, you would find that the words of John Calvin were absolutely true. A couple of different places he wrote on this. One, in his Institutes of Religion, he famously said, Man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. That's all we do. We got to guard ourselves as Christians from doing that. We do it all the time. We surrender ground to things and stuff. I'm not defining the difference between things and stuff, okay? You have things and stuff at your house and you know which ones they are. And we idolize it. We can't live without them. We can't live without devices in our pockets. I mean, take the device out of the pocket of a millennial or a Gen Zer? What do I do? They don't know what to do. Idolatry. Another place in his commentary on Acts, John Calvin writes, every one of us is, even from his mother's womb, expert in inventing idols expert had little piper at the house yesterday piper's my newest granddaughter she smiles she grins She's nine months old. She knows what she's doing. She had hold of me, and I took her over to see Nana. And she faked her out. She reached for her and then turned back to me. And I thought, that a girl. 
Don't think for a moment it's because she favors me. She's already made an idol of this beard right here. Gina doesn't have one. Thankfully. She's already favoring men holding her rather than her mother. Or I mean, that's the first thing that Caitlin said. She does that to me all the time. She said, Jacob has a beard. Little idol right here. I ain't shaving it. In no way. It's true. From our mother's womb, we are experts at inventing idols. How do we do that? Look what it says there. Continuing on in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him or glorify Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. How do we become idolaters? Worthless thinking leads to darkened being. Is that what you meant to say, Rick? Being? Yes. The word heart there. Look what it says. It says, uh, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Yes, it's the Greek word cardia, but oftentimes it is translated as mind. That's probably best in this context, but what is it speaking of? It's speaking of the whole being of man or of a man. What you think becomes what you are and do. Useless thinking, worthless thinking leads to darkened being. This word thinking, dialogismos in the Greek. You may hear the English word dialogue. So it's saying there that, uh, that this futile or worthless thinking is a dialogue. And a dialogue can be amongst men or it can be to yourself. And very much so, dialogismos is speaking of one who has dialogue with himself. Nobody talks to us more than we talk to ourselves. And oftentimes we speak foolishness to ourselves. And other men speak foolishness and we listen to it. And we do it and we imitate it. Worthless thinking. What generates worthless thinking? I'm going to tell you, we don't need a lot of help. To think worthlessly. We got it. We, we, we imagine things to be that are not. 
We create things in our own mind. But we also have the philosophies of man. And the philosophies of man are oftentimes great foolishness, aren't they? It says here that their thinking got skewed. we got to be careful what we put into our minds and what we think about. That's why the Word of God is so valuable for us to read every single day. We need to fill our minds with what God has to say. You may remember that uh, I have a note that I didn't deal with a whole lot today, but it says right here, uh, you do not know what God truly wants. Yes, we do. And how I know is because His Word says so. leads to the tragic exchange of what is real, what is false. It leads to being fully convinced that we are really smart to figure out that what is not profitable is my best choice. Listen to what it says. Claiming to be wise. There's that conversation going on again. Dialogus, Moss. Let me talk to myself. Let me convince myself that my foolishness is the best advice. Claiming to be wise. That word is speaking of being fully convinced that the best option is not what God has revealed about Himself, but what I have thought about myself. And the truth, quote-unquote, that I think is true. Claiming to be wise, it says, they became fools. That word is used only two times, 1 Corinthians one twenty, I believe, and another time in Matthew, and I can't remember the text, but I remember the situation, salt that has lost its saltiness. Fools, dull, flat, tasteless, useless. Claiming to be wise, being fully convinced that this foolishness is the direction I need to go, they became fools. What are we? Look, we're, I mean, we're looking for excitement in life, aren't we? Are we looking for a life that's full of satisfaction? And pleasure? Are we looking for a life that's exciting? Don't we want a life that puts a smile on our face? No? Yes? Don't you want to be happy? Don't you want to have joy? Don't you want life to be electric all the time? Right? I mean, just, yeah, you know, charge me up. Let me, let's go. Isn't that what we're looking for? Don't we want it to be satisfying? But claiming to be wise, they became flat and tasteless and useless. And that's the life you get. That's the life we get. 
for foolish hearts and futile thinking. The reasoning of man leads to destruction. People often want to say, well, there's reason and then there's faith. Faith is reasonable. Don't hear me say that we should not be reasonable and logical. I'm saying that all sound reason and all sound logic has a footing in reality. And the exchange here is for that which is real, exchanging it for what is not real. And that's how it goes right into our day. Well, I was born a man, but I'm a woman. No, you're not. It's not possible. That is an unreality. And there is much thinking today that is unreality. And that's what these things lead to. Uh, we, we are led to futile thinking, worthless thinking, leads us to dark beings, and we'll buy anything. A.W. Tozer says, in the pursuit of God, God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. So just a little instruction. Practice gratitude to the glory of God. How ungrateful have you been? We don't want to fall into this worthless thinking. Practice gratitude to the glory of God. Practice trust to the glory of God. Trust Him. His promises are true. He will be with you. He will help you overcome. He'll never walk away from you. Practice thinking on the solid foundation of God's Word rather than what the world says is the right way to go. There's a whole new morality being built today. And I am seeing those who call themselves evangelicals fall for it. Because something else is their God. Practice thinking on the solid foundation of God's Word. Why do we practice these things? So that we will not be guilty of exchanging the glory of God for things. Let's pray. Father, uh, we are prone to turn away from you. Even being redeemed, Lord, we can be misled. When the anchor of our mind is not your word. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to remain tethered to that which is true, knowing that that which is not will lead us astray. Father, we love you and thank you
for your word. And I pray that you would help us to walk in your truth and not to stray, not to wander, but to know the difference between that which is true in your word and that which is a lie in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.